Welcome back. Today we're going to continue our study of the book of Nehemiah, and we're in chapter 4. Now in chapter 3, we saw that the people started building the wall, and Nehemiah lists out a long list of names of people who contributed to this work, and they worked hard, and they were making great progress. But Nehemiah 3 is not the end of the book. Nehemiah 4 shows us that they are going to start encountering some problems. Notice the title for this chapter, Opposition to the Work. And this is almost universal. Whenever people start working for God and getting energized and joining in the work that God is calling them to do, there's almost always opposition. Satan's not happy. The world isn't happy. And sometimes even people inside of the church or of the body of Christ may not be happy either. So let's go through through this chapter and see who is unhappy and why, and then how they dealt with it. And then we can be encouraged that when people oppose our work for the Lord, we don't allow that to stop us from finishing the task that he has given us to do. So let us read Nehemiah 4. Uh, Starting in verse 1, I'll read verses 1 through 4 first. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. So we see that opposition is intensifying. When they started building the wall, the opposition didn't crumble away. Instead, it intensifies. Many times, this type of opposition is not short-term. You might think when you defeat the opposition that it's done, that you are home free. But oftentimes, that's not the case. Victory once doesn't guarantee victory again. God wanted them to rebuild the wall, but God did not remove the opposition. Do you notice that? God wanted them to rebuild the wall, but he didn't take away the opposition. Why? Well, obviously, there's something in opposition which challenges us, which purifies and refines us and builds our character. Now, we see here that Sanballat, this adversary, was angry. He was greatly enraged. They're building a wall, and this guy's really, really upset about it. That's also not something which should surprise us. Believers who are doing the right things serving the Lord, sometimes stir up an unnatural hatred in the unbelievers around us. Sometimes it's very illogical. We need to understand we are in a spiritual war. And Satan uses people as his pawns against all things good and holy. And when we understand that we're in a spiritual war, that helps us to better comprehend the source of this anger. It's often coming from a very spiritual source. Now, I've had friends who have faced angry parents or angry bosses because of their decision to serve the Lord. And uh, sometimes I even met a parent and I could see visibly angry 
about the the child's choice to serve the Lord. And one was even threatened by his parent that there would be bodily harm, that he would destroy the things in his house or even go and get a gang and break his leg if he wouldn't denounce his faith in God. Another friend of mine, he met his father over the holiday and the father yelled at him for an entire week because of his faith in Christ. So it is possible that people who come to know the Lord will face a lot of opposition. Satan is angry when we choose God and people under his dominion, and he's called the God of this world for a reason, may be angry as well. So the first lesson from this passage is just don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when opposition comes. Don't be surprised when people are unnaturally angry about what we are doing to serve the Lord. Now look at uh, Sanballat's and Tobiah's speech. They are just trying to discourage the workers. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Did, will they restore it for themselves? And will they really be successful in building this wall? Will they sacrifice? Are they going to finish in a day? Like, come on, how long is it going to take them to finish? This is a difficult task. They're not even going to be able to finish what they start. Look at this rubbish. There's rubbish and there's rubble all around and burned once. And in fact, that was true because the walls had been ripped down by Nebuchadnezzar and his army and burned. And so they were actually taking these things which had been ripped down from the original wall and then rebuilding it again. And Sanballat says it's impossible. They're not going to be able to do this. In fact, he didn't probably actually believe it was impossible. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been worried about it. He was worried that they actually would do it. And so he wanted to discourage them. Now, Nehemiah gave a speech in chapter 2 to inspire the people to work. Here we see the counterpart to that speech. But it's not given to inspire. It's given to discourage. It's given to demotivate the people from doing the work. People were motivated and they were working. And so Sanballat's like, your work isn't going to pay off. And Tobiah says, even if you build it up, even if a fox, which is a very light animal that treads rather softly, even if a fox goes up on it, it's going to break down your wall. Your wall is pathetic. It's not going to be finished and it's a waste of time to try. They are just trying to discourage the workers. Well, John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. These people were building something. But Satan and his minions, Sanballat and Tobiah, did not want them to build something. They were just trying to demotivate them and to discourage them from building anything. So you see, the way of the Lord and the way of this world is very different. God wants us to build, but Satan just wants to destroy. Now, Satan will often come to us when we start a task or a mission for the Lord and say, you can't do it. And this, you can't do it, will come in all kinds of different packages. Sometimes from people around us, speaking, discouraging words. You know, even children growing up, a lot of times their parents uh, unwisely tell their kids many times, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And people hear these neg negativity and these negative words all around them, saying you can't do it. It's impossible. Don't even try. Well, this task of building a wall around Jerusalem looked impossible, but it wasn't. It was possible if they would unify and if they would work hard. So 
if someone comes to you and something God has called you to do and you're doing it and anyone tells you you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, then don't listen. Nehemiah then has a prayer starting in verse 4. We read that. We're going to continue on in verse 5 through 23. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So verse 4 and 5 is Nehemiah's prayer. Well, what do you think of this prayer? First, we see something good. Nehemiah turns to the right place with his concerns. He doesn't take revenge. He doesn't trade insults. He doesn't tell them about, well, your house, if even a mosquito landed on it, then it would break down. He doesn't do that. He simply prays. He prays to God for help. His prayer reminds us of the principle in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So, Nehemiah is following this New Testament principle. In other words, he's not going to do something himself. He's not going to stretch out his hands against these people. But he's asking God to do it. He almost is saying, look, God, I'm not going to take revenge, but could you please avenge us against them? Now, in the Old Testament, the concept of grace was not as prevalent in the New Testament. And justice was emphasized more. So basically, we could say that this prayer is a prayer of justice rather than a prayer of for for grace. And in fact, these people were a thorn in their flesh. They were a hindrance. They were directly being used by Satan to stop the people from God's work. And Nehemiah asked God, God, please just deal with them. Deal with them so that we can finish the job which you've given us to do. It seems entirely reasonable in that case to pray in that way. Now, should we pray like that? Probably not, at least not generally, and not unless we have a very, very clear leading to do so. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he didn't mean to pray condemnation upon those who persecute you. Nehemiah had not yet received this command. So the good aspect of Nehemiah's prayer is he's putting the judgment into God's hands. And he's he's not doing this in a selfish way. He's not like these people are inconveniencing me. It's not like road rage, like you're driving on the road and somebody comes in front of you and you're like, God, please strike them down because they inconvenienced me a little bit. No, these were people who were trying to deceive and mislead the sheep. And Nehemiah was their shepherd. And so John Calvin once said, you need to talk with two voices, one voice to the sheep and one voice to the wolf. And so these were wolves and God said, and Nehemiah says, God, please deal with the wolves. Please deal with the wolves. So sometimes you do have to be strict towards the wolves. And Nehemiah puts the judgment into God's hands. He's not going to take action himself against Sanballat and his gang, but he asked God to intervene on their behalf. <clears throat> now, sometimes you might be suffering injustice, perhaps from a boss school, a government, turn to the Lord. That's the right way to go. Don't take revenge yourself. Turn to the Lord. Ask him for justice. This is what the persevering widow did in Luke 18. She kept going back day after day after day to the judge and saying, please give me justice. We can turn to God and ask for justice, which is what Nehemiah is doing. Now let's go forward from verse 6. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. 
So we build the wall. Nehemiah prayed, but he didn't stop in prayer. He went back and they did their work. So he was not so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good. After praying, they started working. And the text says that the people had a mind to work. In chapter 3, we learned that working, if you do it for the right motivation for the Lord, is a good thing. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing very well. Colossians 3.23 is probably a verse you've heard often about working. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. When God gives us a task to do, we should do it to the best of our ability. Obey joyfully, quickly, completely. They were able to make rapid progress on the wall because they were unified, they worked hard, and they had a mind to work. With one worker has a mind to work and the other has a mind to rest, the difference in the quality and the quantity of their work will be very big. When we join together, zealously working for the Lord, then we can accomplish great things for Him. Many hands make light work. That doesn't end the opposition. They prayed, they started working, and then more opposition comes again. Verse 7, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, those should be Philistines, or at least people descended from there, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So, they keep working and the opposition doesn't give up. They work, there's opposition. They work, there's opposition, and the opposition doesn't give up. They went from just irritated talking before they were giving speeches, trying to discourage the people, and that didn't work. So they're escalating to another prong in their attack, to another level. Now, once the walls were finished, it would be too late to mount a successful attack against the city without a much stronger force. I think they didn't want Jerusalem to have its walls rebuilt because they didn't want the city and its people to be successful. They hated the people of God. They did not want them to be successful. They did not want them to be able to defend themselves from attack. So they probably thought that if they could just keep pressuring them, if they could just keep you know, discouraging them that the Jews' fortitude would melt away and they would just give up. You know, they're like the school bully who expects people to cower and to run and give him whatever they want just because he scowls at them. And so they keep doing all kinds of things. Here they're plotting together. We don't know exactly what this plot is, but they were encouraging. Oh, it says that they were plotting together to come and fight. So they're trying to gather some people up and saying, let's go fight. Let's attack the city before the walls can be finished. What's the principle here? Well, just because you successfully stand up to temptation or adversity once doesn't mean that's the end of it. In the Bible, Satan described is described as an adversary, and sometimes he's very persistent. So we could let down our guard. Like if you're working for God, there's opposition, and you win a victory, you might think, oh, okay, done, I can relax. But if you do have that mentality, watch out, because another attack is probably coming. Now, how did Nehemiah and the people respond this time? 
I just love this. Every time there's an attack, we see Nehemiah with such great leadership to lead the people in the right response. It says, and we prayed to our God. Every time, prayer, God, we need your help. God, we're looking to you. You're our focus. You help us get through. And again, though, he doesn't only pray. He also takes practical precautions. And they set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So they were vigilant. They were alert. They followed the command, which we learn in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, or Sanballat and Tobiah in this case, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So they pray, but they're also vigilant. They follow the command from Peter hundreds of years before it was even written. Let's go forward. Verse 10, and we'll read 10 to 14. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the walls. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, 10 times you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the wall, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So temporarily, the constant attacks and opposition starts to look like there's some success there. Fear and discouragement start to come in. In Judah, it was said, some of the people were saying, the strength is failing, there's too much rubble, that is, it's too much work, it's too difficult. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So there was some discouragement coming. Some people began to be disheartened, began to mutter. Hope began to fade. Before, the people were very optimistic. They were believed in the job. They were working together and relying on the Lord to finish the task. Now, though, their eyes are starting to turn away from the Lord and instead focus on the sheer size of the task before them. We're reminded of Peter, who, when he was looking at Jesus, was able to walk on the water. And when he looked at the size of the waves and felt the wind, then he started to fear. And fear and doubt crept in. When they started focusing on their own weakness and the sorry state of the walls, doubt began to creep in. And then that led their enemies to step up the attacks even more, saying, we're going to come and we're going to kill you all. I mean, the workers, they weren't expert wall builders. The project was enormous. The opposition was tense. And so the Jews who lived near Sanballat and his buddies, they started coming in with reports. They didn't bring in one report or two reports or three reports, but 10, 10 times, message after message after message coming to Nehemiah were about to be attacked. How does a worker keep on building the wall when several times a day the neighbors rush into the city warning that their enemy is going to come and attack and kill them all. These types of continuous threats made it very difficult to focus on the job in front of them. God wants us to have faith, but Satan wants us to doubt. So this job was difficult to carry on. But again, 
Nehemiah comes up with a very practical plan. He says, okay, we have to deal with this, right? We can't just ignore the threat and pretend it's not there, right? It's not a, you know, ostrich head in the sand approach. He's very practical. So he stations people with their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So some of the people are constantly on duty as soldiers with their weapons, standing guard while the workers next to them are going about the job and building the wall. So they've got workers building the wall and soldiers ready to protect them at a moment's notice. A very practical plan. Verse 14, again, we see Nehemiah responding. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. The people were afraid. That's a normal reaction. In chapter 1, it says that Nehemiah himself was afraid when the king asked why he was sad. Or perhaps chapter 2. But he didn't allow the fear to control him. Here, he doesn't want fear to control the people's response either. And one time, the psalmist said, When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Fear is something that all of us will face from time to time. But when we're afraid, we can't allow those feelings to overcome us. We cannot succumb to them. Instead, we need to turn our eyes back to the Lord and trust in Him. Actively decide, I will trust in the Lord. At the same time, he says, you need to fight. You need to trust in the Lord and you need to fight. We see both the belief in God and the need to themselves uh, work hard and do the best that they could side by side these things. They need to fight for their families, their brothers, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their homes. So do not allow fear to control you. Remember, God is great. He's awesome. He's with you. And he gives us spiritual armor. He gives us armor because he intends us to use it. Now, there's no, there's no guarantee that believers will not face opposition. In fact, the opposite is true. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not one of the most quoted scriptures. Not one of you know, ones we would typically make a refrigerator magnet out of and, and hang it up. This isn't a super popular verse, but it tells us that if we want to follow Christ, we will face persecution. So Nehemiah, he has a plan and he also prayed, right? He prays in verse 14 and then we see his, his plan. He gives a, a speech to the people and let's go forward and see different parts of the <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see different parts of the plan. Verse 13, we see him stationing people um, by the wall with their weapons. We'll read on. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So again, they start working again. They don't give up. They don't stop. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leader stood behind the whole house of Judah. So half the people are standing guard with their weapons, while half the people are working. Verse 17, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. 
So the workers also carried their weapons. They had their sword or their dagger or their bow nearby. So Nehemiah prays and trusts in God and at the same time prepares the people to defend themselves. Trusting in God is never an excuse for laziness or lack of being alert. Verse 19, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So here's another part of the plan. In any place where there's an attack, they should sound a trumpet. And wherever they hear the trumpet, all the people will go to that place uh, to rally around any place that might be attacked. And then they trusted in God to fight for them. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So again, the people were not supposed to return to their villages or their homes outside of the city walls. They were supposed to stay stay within the walls to protect all of the workers who were sleeping there at night. So all the people were to be on alert at all times. Verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Okay, so they are very, very ready at all times to protect from uh, the attacks that may come. Okay, what is the lesson from this chapter? Well, we see that when you work for God, opposition may come. So the reminder to us is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do not give up. Do not give in. Be practical. Prepare uh, the defenses that you need. Think ahead of time how the attacks will come and prepare some ways in order to counter that. Um, For example, if you know that you have a hard time waking up in the morning to get to your job on time. And you've tried before, you set an alarm, it's next to your bed. When the alarm rings, you just click snooze and then go back to sleep. And then you do this many times, sometimes without even an awareness that you're doing it until you get up very, very late and you are late for work. Well, what to do? Well, you need to know, okay, this is a weakness. This is where an attack is going to come. I need to pray, right? But I shouldn't just pray and then do the same thing again. I need to pray to God for help and then I need to come up with a plan in order to make sure that I don't give in to this weakness in my flesh. Because the disciples once said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So perhaps a simple thing could be to put your phone across the room, or even put one or two or even three alarm clocks at different places across the room from you, so that it's not so easy for you to just click snooze. Set them on their highest level. And then when the alarm rings, You cannot just turn it off. You have to get up from bed. And you get up from bed and go turn it off and then stay up out of bed. This is just one very simple, practical example. There are many. You know the temptations that you are likely to face. What are you doing about it? One person once said that the best definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting different results. 
Are you walking the same path in front of that temptation again and again and expecting something different to happen this time? You need to have a battle plan. You need to think through where the attack is going to come from and what you can do in order to take the way of escape promised. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. There is a way of escape. Will you find it? You might be facing some obstacles as you serve God, maybe at your work, maybe in your family, maybe in your ministry. You need to pray to God about those and find ways by his grace to overcome. I hope this chapter encourages encourages you to keep working for the Lord, not to compromise, not to give up, not to just say, oh, it's too tough and I'm done. But when the going gets tough, the tough get going. So uh, a great lesson from Nehemiah chapter 4, and I really hope that you will join us next time as we study Nehemiah 5. God bless, and I hope to see you then. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.